Welcome to So Many Bits. I'm your host, Bill Nielsen, and as always, joining me from Oakville, Ontario, is Cliff Murphy. Cliff, how are you? Doing great, Bill. How are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. Uh, this week we'll be talking about Wreck-It Ralph. Uh, this is one of the few, there have been many video game movies made over the past 30 years, but this is one of the few ones that attempts to really integrate video games into the premise. And we'll mm-hmm. take a look at where it succeeds and where it fails, and how it's overall a pretty good movie, I would say. Yeah, I agree. As a quick reminder, So Many Bits is brought to you in part by the Second Wind Collective. For more quality podcasts like this one, please visit secondwindcollective.com for details. And before we get into Wreck-It Ralph, as always, uh, Cliff, what games have you been playing? Uh, what have I been playing this week? Uh, more Final Fantasy Tactics Advance. And uh, then, you know what? I wanted to compare uh, the new version of Final Fantasy Tactics to the original Final Fantasy Tactics. So I threw in the original Final Fantasy Tactics. I tried playing that for a little bit. Uh, and it's it's quite a bit different. I mean, obviously, because it was released <laughs> close to 20 years ago. Uh, it's quite a bit different, but at the same time, it's, you know, it's, you know, it's similar, obviously, because the new tactics is, you know, based off of the old one. Uh, but one thing that I thought was really, really interesting was that the original Final Fantasy Tactics takes place in the fictional land or country of Ivalice. That's right. Or Ivalice. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea. I thought that that was just something that had been like done for the new tactics in Final Fantasy Twelve as well. But I guess that they had created it for Final Fantasy Tactics originally. Yes, I, I don't recall all of the details, but uh, the one of the main people behind Tactics was also involved in Twelve, and I believe he exited the development of Twelve partway through. Mm-hmm. And so, as a consequence of that, uh, that caused 12 to get delayed i believe that also delayed 13 so it became a xbox 360 ps3 release as a consequence of that oh that's very interesting um yeah i i that yeah that is neat that's very cool but uh and and just i I know there are a lot of different ways to play the original final fantasy tactics were you playing on uh, ps1 or like on the ipad or how were you playing Uh I was, uh, it's on the iPad? I believe so. Uh, they, they did a remake called Final Fantasy Tactics colon War of the Lions, and I believe that's available for iPad. Really? I'll have to look into that. I'm just playing it on the, uh, on the, uh, PS1, because I, you know, I have it, so I just threw that in and was playing it there, and, uh, I mean, it's great. I certainly didn't appreciate it when I played it when I was younger. I mean, when I played it when I was younger, I was, like, 10 or something, um, but, uh, it, uh, I mean, it's the whole thing at the beginning. It's got a whole lot of like political intrigue and like assassinations and like, you know, there's an actual big storyline behind it, uh, which is pretty neat compared to the new Final Fantasy Tactics, which is, oh no, you were sucked into a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's like no storyline in the new one. Um, but uh, it's neat. I'm, I'm probably going to end up playing it a little bit more. Um, one thing that I like quite a lot about it is that i mean obviously when you're playing any playstation one games some of the graphics can be very very dated but because of the uh the actual style of animation in the game i think it holds up pretty well all of the sprites are done it looks like just sort of like this i guess sort of three-dimensional kind of pixel art sort of thing so the environments are 3d but they're very basic so they look so they look fine um but the uh, the actual characters all look like pixel art, so it's uh, it. I think it holds up pretty well. It still looks pretty good. That's good. Uh, I mean, definitely 
Yeah, I recall like the there's less jaggy graphics in that game than most other PS1 releases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like it. Um, I mean, I like going back and playing the PS1 games, but you know, you put in Final Fantasy VIII, and it's like. Oh, I spent so long trying to like mess with the settings on my television set or on the PlayStation or something to try and get it look good, and it just you know it never does because I mean you know I guess it can't. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, that's what I've been playing in terms of games. How about you? Well, this week I'd like to talk about three, well, four different games I tried. They all fall into the same bucket though. All like word games available for the iPhone. Okay. Uh, they're Alpha Bear. Letterpad, Spell Tower, and the New York Times crossword puzzle app. <laughs> the first three kind of had a uh, had a similar sort of theme, and then just the New York Times crossword puzzle app. It's good. Well, I'm just uh, because I now would surgically attach my phone to my hand if I had the option. I look for games that I can play on the subway when I'm underground. That's, that's smart. Yep. And uh, these were all games that didn't require an internet connection to be played. But they're all fairly similar. The general gist of it is like, you need to, um, Alphabet, you'll get a, a string of letters, and you have to, you can make words out of them. You can make any words you want and get points based on it. And the goal is you want to, uh, some, some letters will expire sooner than others, so you want to use them more quickly, and sometimes you'll get bonuses, depending on which mm -hmm. bears you have out. Um, okay. Letterpad is kind of like Boggle in that it it gives you a theme and it tells you like six different blanks or six different word blanks that you have to fill in and it tells you how many characters would fit in each word and you have to figure out all the words that are possible to make based on the theme. Oh, that's neat. That's pretty cool. Uh, Spell Tower is there's a tower like kind of like a Tetris field of letters. Okay. And, sure. And you want to make words, again, Boggle style out of that, connecting adjacent or diagonal uh, letters to each other and just see as big how big of a word you can get. Okay, cool. And then uh, when you use them, do they disappear Tetris style? Yes, they do. They, they disappear, and then the, the letters above will collapse in and fill in the space. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's neat. That, that is. And, and then the New York Times crossword puzzle is a crossword puzzle. <laughs> but is it good? Because I've uh, I've played a few uh, different like crossword puzzle apps, and they're you know they're generally pretty garbage. But uh, is the New York Times one pretty good? I think it was pretty well put together. Uh, yeah. Even on my phone, I didn't feel it was too hard to get uh, the right spot, get to the words. It lets you cycle through the different clues pretty easily, and you can just double tap to switch horizontal and vertical. I'm disappointed how bad I am at crossword puzzles. I <laughs> Okay. I mean, I I figured I would be pretty good at them, but I guess you just need more practice. Like I can do the Monday one pretty all right, mm -hmm. but then after that it's it's dicey. Oh yeah. By the time you get to the end of the week, it's like it's damn near impossible half the time. Um I uh I normally during the school year I'll do a crossword puzzle every single day. Um well every single day of the week. Um, and you're right on the Monday ones, you can tear through them in like eight minutes. I do them online, um, but I can tear through them in like eight minutes, but then you get to Friday and I'll just be like hitting tab going through all the different clues. I'm like, don't know that one. Don't know that one. Don't know that one. Oh, I know that one. It's TNT. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, 
but there are a lot of clues that kind of repeat themselves a whole bunch. Uh, like uh, Ono comes up a whole bunch, like Yoko Ono, um, because it's got an O and an N and an O. Uh, E-N-E comes up as well a bunch of times, which is like East-Northeast. But <laughs> sometimes they'll be really lazy and they're like, I don't know, it's the opposite of West-Southwest. <laughs> so they're like, okay. Um Olio seems to come up a whole bunch, which is, and there's two different types of olio. There's O-L-I-O and there's O-L-E-O. And one of them's like a butter substitute and the other one's like just a melange of different things. Um, so the fact that I know that means that I've done a few crosswords. The, uh, the only trick that I know from my mom is that if a word, if a clue refers to a plural, the, the answer, the solution should also be a plural. Yes, so you can automatically put an S right at the end, right? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's a sneaky way of getting around some of those some of those tricky clues. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, all those games, I, I I tried them all and I uninstalled them all. Um, oh, really? Eh? Yeah, there's. I, I guess it's like you could just say I'm not good at them and I don't get them, but I'm not good at them and I don't get them. Okay. And that's kind of a shame to me because I love words. I, I mean, I'm a pedantic jerk. So <laughs> you think those sure. would be right up sure. my alley. They, they go hand in hand, don't they? They, they do. I, I would say so. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to have to keep looking for games to play on my phone when I can't play Hearthstone because I'm underground. No, that's fair. That's fair. I talked about it before, but I'd recommend again uh, looking into Splendor which is the app that's based off of the uh, card game Splendor. That's right. Um, yeah, that's uh, that would uh, that's worth your time. I did play a lot of Ascension uh, when that came out, but I, I've kind of worn that out. So I, I'll try mm. Splendor then when I get the chance. Thank you. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, yeah. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got, I've got some other games, but I'll, I'll save them for another week. Uh, just uh, nothing that pressing. <laughs> sure yeah we'll, we'll save them talk about them later uh i will probably just talk about final fantasy tactics again in the future uh but we'll see that's all we'll right see. It's, it's all right it's important to know i mean uh i forget the name of the hero in the at first advanced game but i know uh ramza is the hero of the yeah it was ramza and then uh in the next one it was uh marsh i think was his name <laughs> marsh Marsh, like M A R C H E. Ah, uh, like uh, yeah, like the Marsh. Like man. that, like that makes it any better of a name. <laughs> They're like, oh, I thought you meant like a swamp. <laughs> um, no, there was Marsh, and he had a Moogle sidekick named Mont Blanc, uh, and there was a girl. <laughs> she had pink hair. I don't remember what her name was. Uh, man, good. Oh, so there's that. <laughs> Yeah, there was. I'm certain she was important to the storyline, but I can't for the life of me remember what her name is. She was. I mean, what I remember is uh, Marsh is the protagonist. Well, he's mm-hmm. kind of the antagonist, and then uh, there's another kid who's physically handicapped, and he wants to stay in the book. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, he's in the wheelchair in the uh, in the uh, real world, and uh, in the uh, game world, he's uh, not. Yeah, he's, he's the king of the the world. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I remember that. Uh, 
Okay, so I'm on the page now. I'm on the Wikipedia page. Okay. Right, there's Marsh. Ritz, that's her name. That's the girl's name. Uh, and Mute. Mute is the uh, Mute is the guy who becomes the uh, the king, I guess. Man, they either love homonyms or they love homophones. Oh, no, it's not Mute. Mute's a different kid. Uh, Doned, apparently, is the kid's name. D-O-N-E-D. How would you pronounce that? Doned? Oh, boy. Uh... Donad. <laughs> Isn't there a character kind of like that name in A Song of Fire and Ice? Uh, I don't know. So you know I'm a pedantic jerk because I called it A Song of Fire and Ice and not A Game of Thrones. Instead of Game of Thrones? Well, Game of Thrones is the name of the series. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. The first one's called A Game of Thrones. The whole thing's called A Song of Fire and Ice, right? Right. right. Ice and Fire. Oh, I called it Fire and Ice. Oh, jeez. Oh, sorry, Bill. I'm screwing everything. No, up no, it's my here. fault. I, I was there's a there's a magic card called a sword sword of fire and ice, and I, I get them mixed up. Oh uh, well, sword song, pretty much the same thing anyway. Right. Uh, yeah, let's good. get to wreck it, Ralph. Uh, we're, let's wreck we're, it. We're, we're, yeah, we're we're gonna wreck it. We're gonna wreck it. Nailed it. Uh, it's it's you know it's I've actually been reading. Uh, recently, I have a copy of the Upright Citizens uh, Brigade Comedy Improvisation Manual, mm-hmm. and uh, which is fantastic. Uh, have, have you heard of it? Have you read it? I have it. I own it. It's uh, collecting dust on my bookshelf. It's it's you know I I keep making the mistake of like I pick it up, I read the first fifty pages, and I'm like, yeah, man, yep, and then I I put it down, and now I'm actually reading it, and so I'm a little bit further into it, and it's you know it's. It's uh, pretty darn good. It's making me want to get up and try uh, more long-form improvisation as well. Uh, For those of you who don't know, the Upright Citizens Brigade Comedy Improvisation Manual is essentially a book guide on how to do long-form improv. Uh, And uh, long-form improv is different from short-form improv in that it's longer. (laughs) (laughs) Can I add on to that? Yeah, you add add on to that. Yeah, you go ahead. So... Short form improv tends to be one selected scene lasting three to four minutes. Mm-hmm. Long form can either be a collection of three to four minute scenes, or it can be longer scenes going eight to ten minutes, or it can be one continuous scene. But the theme throughout all of those is that ideas that come up earlier in the long form show are brought back later and re explored. You would not do that in short form. You would have a four-minute scene in the short-form show, and mm-hmm. then the four-minute scene that follows would be completely divorced from the one before it. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly would. And, uh, yeah, the, if I recall, the UCB manual was made because there was a person living in kind of the remote, a remoter part, a more remote part of Canada, and he emailed or wrote a letter to the UCB saying, hey, I want to know how to do improv, and we don't really know how to teach ourselves. There's no one out here who can coach us. Mm. And so uh, I don't know actually which members wrote the book, but whichever ones did, they thought about it academically and how like how you would write an improv text, like from the ground up to teach no, yourself. It, no, that, that totally makes sense because it works through pretty much everything, you know, step by step by step. Right. Like it talks about like sort of the the basic ideas and then it gets a little bit more and more complicated as it goes on. And it's nice as well because it'll provide uh, games or examples and how to run the game and the things to look for in the game. Um, I've heard uh, examples of 
people who have taught themselves and their groups how to do improv from this book or just from following along with the book. And it totally makes sense. Um, I mean, in the first couple of chapters, they're talking about, you know, establishing your reality, basically getting your platform up and running, right? Um, and uh, your platform being uh, who you are, where you are, what you're doing, and then noticing the first weird thing that's going on, right? The first unusual thing, which is going to provide the impetus for the for the rest of the scene. Um, and in, in later chapters, it starts talking more about the game of the scene. Like, well, it, once you have identified that weird thing, how can you heighten that weird thing? How can you explore it further? How can you play the game of the scene? Um, which is actually, now that I think about it, quite interesting that we're doing a podcast about video games. And I don't think we've once talked about the game improv-wise. You know, if you can concisely explain game of the scene, then I, I open the dance floor to you. Uh. <laughs> uh, okay, so the game of the scene is pretty much what is the what is the it sort of starts. I'm going to do my best to sort of explain it right now, um, but I'm not great at explaining it. But let's find out. Um, so when you are doing an improv scene, especially when you want to do a long form one, you want to start everything pretty normal. Like you sort of establish the reality that you're working in. Like who are you? What's your relationship to each other? Et cetera, et cetera. Then as soon as someone says or notices something weird, something that's odd, right, you can react to it or you can respond to it in a natural way. And once you've established that there's this weird characteristic, you can sort of explore that or heighten it a little bit more. And this heightening of this weird characteristic or this weird idea in this reality is, in essence, the game that you are playing. It's pretty much just saying... uh, uh, if this thing is weird, then what other things are going to be weird? Uh, a better, more general way of describing it is, if this is true, then what else is true? And you can see that in all sorts of different other things. Um, I mean, you can see that idea expressing itself sort in, uh, like in movies, in books, in video games, in all these different other things as well, right? Um, like, I mean, you take Final Fantasy, for example, or Final Fantasy Tactics, because I have the Wikipedia page open in front of me. <laughs> um, so they say that, like, okay, so they establish the platform and everything like that. There's some kids. What's the weird thing that happens? Oh, my gosh, they get sucked into this world about Final Fantasy, which, according to this paragraph, it says... Uh, the next morning, Marsh wakes up in the world of Ivalice. The fantasy Ivalice is supposedly a reincarnation of Mute's memories from a Final Fantasy game. So, you are playing a Final Fantasy game, which is set in a world of Final Fantasy that someone came up with from playing Final Fantasy. So, so I think that was pretty good. I, I made a note here, too, just in case we needed to go back and edit this, but it worked out well. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy. So, if you're setting up the premise of Wreck-It Ralph, Basically, it's just the world of video game characters, right? So I guess the premise is kind of uh, that after the video games are turned off, all the characters in the games have lives and they can interact with each other. And it all takes place in an arcade. So all these video game characters have fast access to each other. And um, which is kind of a nice, it's, it's a nice uh, video game movie in the sense that it's not hitting you over the head with being like, whoa, look at these video games. Whoa, are video games cool and everything like that? It's like, it's just sort of assumed that, yeah, this is the reality, right? Video game characters exist. We're going to see what happens to these characters, right? It's not, uh, being like overly, overly referential just for the sake of making references. It's required in order for the story to exist. Well, see, I would actually contend that the game is good about just assuming a lot of things, but the um, 
the video game okay the video game references are kind of assumed like they just are there mm-hmm. but they kind of stick out they're pretty incongruous with the rest of the story i would say uh yeah i, I actually that makes sense you're talking because um there's lots of like actual video game characters who are in there, like uh, uh, Bowser, Zangief, M. Bison. You can see Sonic in there. They reference Mario at some point. Uh, uh, one of the Pac-Man ghosts, Cubert, uh, is an important character. Uh, but then all of the actual main characters in the storyline are from fictitious games. Right. Right. Um, it's it's kind of uh, like they're they're on the periphery, and a lot of them are front loaded. They're the majority appear in the first. 20 minutes of the movie and then they kind of fade away and then they'll drop a reference here and there throughout the rest almost as if to remind you that you're still watching a movie that's supposed to take place in like the, the real world in air quotes with video games uh, like the one that really stuck out to me is when the the candy king mm-hmm. he's going into a secret underground lair and the passcode is uh, the konami code on an nes uh controller <laughs> okay right where it's like the only video game reference in the in, that entire realm that the entire place that they're located mm-hmm. and it, it just was weird to me it's yeah that that sounds like it sticks out a little bit although i mean in a movie about video games it would make sense for them to have a bunch of video game references but that one does seem a little bit odd that they threw that one in it, perhaps they could have been more evenly distributed throughout the movie yeah, I mean that. I guess that's what I would say is like. I mean, it's a it's a wonder how many references they got in the movie at all. I, I mean, many. I mean, video game companies are not unique in that they're very protective of their intellectual property, and uh, some of the I did some reading on this and like Nintendo, for example, had many, many, many notes on how Bowser should be portrayed. For example, that. There was a specific way that he should hold his coffee cup in the bad guy's anonymous meeting. <laughs> that he should be bigger than Zangief because Bowser is a big character. But then Capcom says Zangief should be big because Zangief is a big guy. And so they had to compromise and make them both the same height. <laughs> that, uh, that reminds me of uh, Roger Rabbit. Uh, or who framed Roger Rabbit. There's a scene with uh, Eddie Valiant when he's falling and Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny are on the screen at the same time. And they had to go into negotiations with Disney and Warner Brothers to give them the exact same amount of screen time and the exact same lines. Or not the exact same lines, the exact same amount of words in their lines. <laughs> so, I mean, they say different things, but it's the exa- they say the exact same number of words, which is crazy. That's, I mean... That's amazing that it happened at all. But yeah, this, when you see how it happened, it's kind of like see, peeking behind the curtain, seeing how mm-hmm. ma- a magic trick is done. It's like, oh, that's not <laughs> that's not unique anymore. Yeah, I think that it's uh, in terms of, I mean, the video game reference or the other games or everything like that. I think that, I mean, in general, I was I was OK with it because it really wasn't the movie wasn't overly like hitting me over the head with a bunch of them. The only one I would say is really kind of like, really like, look at this was when they're in game central station and they're walking by the screen that has Sonic on it. And Sonic's like, if you die outside your game, you die forever. It's like, yeah, 
that's really a forced way of like introducing that like necessary information about the movie. Uh, and you could have like introduced that from a different character or something like that. But, uh, but apart from that, I, I, I found myself not really having too much of a problem. I mean, they need other video game villains for the, uh, for the help groups. So I was okay with that. Uh, if you're looking at the other characters who are walking around, uh, sort of makes sense. It is kind of odd that Bowser would be there because Bowser's not really in arcade games and they're in an arcade. So how did Bowser get there? But uh, in general, I was I was fine with it. I was fine with the extra references and everything there. I just think it was weird how they handled it. Like the the references were uh, cons- conspicuous, conspicuous, hmm. conspicuous, conspicuous. Yeah, I think. Conspicuous, but not explained. Like they're just there, but like the 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 logic behind the video game world is all over the place. But they kind of get bogged down sometimes explaining it. Like that when they're explaining. Uh, so uh, Ralph is trying to help out this little girl he meets in another video game, voiced by Sarah Silverman. Yeah, Vanellope. 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 Yes, yeah. that's right. And the king is like, "No, you can't. You can't help her because if she wins this race and gets the MacGuffin, then the game will re- restart and she'll die." And like, <laughs> but then it's a, like a five-minute explanation of like how, oh, the game will turn off because the game's broken, and so all the characters will have to evacuate. And this, it's this long like mm-hmm. explanation. It, it's weird because if they trust people to watch the references and get the references without. I mean, mm-hmm. some of them are, are obviously placed, but they don't say, like, oh, that's Sonic. Yeah. If they trust the viewer to get that, I'm not mm-hmm. sure why they couldn't trust some of the, the game. To figure, out, to figure out the uh, the uh, how important some of these things are to happen. Yeah, that's that that makes sense. I hadn't considered that. Um, that they really kind of hit you over the head with some things that should be very, you know, that have already been, you know, implicitly stated. It's just like a, a subtle reminder would be fine. Right, just to have the king be like, "Don't you know what's going to happen?" And then have Ralph like, "I know what would happen. We got to solve it or something." And you're like, "Oh yeah, I know what would happen too." Okay, we're all in this together. Like it is a kids movie, and, and I, I mean, I, I have to <laughs> remind myself. That's of true. That. That's uh, true. It just, yeah, it's weird. Then, like, who are you? I, I guess the idea is that you take your kid. The kid needs that part explained, but you're thirty and you know who Sonic the Hedgehog is, or maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. I was going to say something. I don't remember. What I was going to say. Well, then I'll just I'll I'll ramble on a little bit longer. Uh, sure, I rambled a bunch at the beginning. I'm not yeah. done with that game ramble, but okay. we'll, we'll, I'll uh, I'll come back to that in a bit. Um, I mean, just this is definitely a movie intended for children i mean less than five minutes into the movie this line is said ralph we get it but we can't change who we are the sooner you accept that the better off your game and your life will be (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a little heavy-handed isn't it um (laughs) i uh when i when i used to coach improv i would tell my kids about something called the subtlety hammer and that was if they were doing a they were doing a scene and they weren't being subtle enough with their things and they were just overtly saying what they were like thinking or that sort of stuff uh i would threaten to hit them with the subtlety hammer which i thought was an ironic tool to enforce subtlety (laughs) (laughs) i agree i agree yeah Yeah. and and you know there's the like i I kind of mentioned before the MacGuffin of ralph wants to get a medal because the medal symbolizes what he wants to be respected Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. then like 
there's a part where he's like, modern video games are too violent when he goes into the modern video game. Uh, uh, the, yeah, the male leads pair off with the female leads, uh, not necessarily romantically, mind you. Uh, no. And then, although uh, doesn't uh, uh, doesn't uh, Felix end up married to um, Jane Lynch's uh, character, the commander from yeah. Heroes Duty? Yeah, she does. Uh, her name is Calhoun, and Calhoun. It's fair you wouldn't know that because they only mention her name once in like the last two minutes of the movie. They never mention it before then. Really? Well, that explains it. I'm re-watching it right now, and I'm, you know, halfway through, and I'm like, what? Her name is Jane Lynch's character. That's what her, her name is. So, that's funny. I, um, really, I really enjoyed the line, she has the most tragic backstory ever. <laughs> or, sorry, she, has, she was programmed with the most tragic backstory ever. Yeah, she was. Uh, did you notice in that, in that scene, in that clip, when the bug comes in and tackles her in the wedding, she pulls her gun out from underneath her dress like she had it there the entire time, just in <laughs> case? I thought that was really, really funny. Uh, just a very subtle sort of, like, little tiny uh, take that they do there. Um. So, what I wanted to say about uh, a game, if I can go back to this and just finish this up and then I'll shut up about game for a while. Sure. Um, in terms of like establishing the movie or getting it all set at the beginning, if you're going to do an improv scene or something like that and it's going to be in sort of an alternate reality, it's important to establish the reality at the beginning, the reality of the scene. And they do that at the beginning. Um, Ralph has his sort of speech at the beginning where he explains the nature of the world and who he is and everything like that. And then he also, they do the uh, villain, uh, the Badenon meeting, and he explains that he's unhappy with everything that's happening right there. And as soon as he does that at the end of the meeting, that's when the title actually plays. It actually says Wreck-It Ralph there, and then it sort of runs the credits or something at the beginning. But all the time before that opening credit, that introduces the who, the what, the where, and it gives the weird thing that's happening. So the interesting thing that's there is that, yeah, it's a little odd that, I mean, they're video game characters and they're alive. But that's not the weird thing that's happening. That's the base reality. That's the required information for us to know and sort of appreciate what's happening in the story. Um, the, the story is about their video game characters. And they live in video games and they do their video games. Those are their jobs. And uh, there's some good guys and there's some bad guys. And this is the world that they live in, right? That's the reality. And that is, that is odd, I mean, compared to our reality, but that's the base reality established for the, for the movie. So then when Ralph says pretty much that he doesn't want to be bad anymore and he wants to be good, that's the weird thing that happens. And so that's the strange thing because it's odd for a bad guy to say that he wants to be good. And that is sort of the, the impetus, that's the driving force, or the, the tilt, if you will, that drives all the rest of the stuff in the movie um, and builds up towards everything else, which is, I mean, why they introduce the title sequence immediately after that tilt. Um, and uh, so in a scene or something like that, if you're establishing these characters, you're saying that you're video game characters or something like that. Yeah, that's strange. But as actors or as performers... It's in your best interest to treat that information as being just reality and you just deal with it naturally. You're not standing around being like, isn't it weird that we're talking video game characters? Yeah, that's that's odd, but that's not what the scene is going to be about, right? Right. Um, I mean, if you think about other sorts of examples, I mean, I always like to reference Star Wars, um, but Star Wars, I mean, it opens up with, um, you know, uh, uh, Leia and the droids and you know, well, the Star Wars. Technically, it opens with the, the crawl. 
Yes, it does open with the crawl, and that introduces a whole bunch of the information. Like it, that, it, that introduces a bunch of the background. But then we get to the story. That's that's not really any of the weird. Like I mean, that's not the unusual thing. Yeah, it's all unusual that there's these galactic battles and everything like that that's happening. But the unusual thing, I mean, really comes down to the fact that uh, uh, Luke is sort of learning and becoming how to be a Jedi. I mean, from Luke's storyline, shall we say? I mean, yeah, it's weird that he's on a different planet and he's on a moisture farm. Right, but the weird thing, the unusual thing for him is that he discovers that he's uh, a Jedi descendant. You know, he will be a Jedi, or he's descended from Jedi. And so, you need all this backstory, you need all this information, this reality, in order to appreciate uh, this new information that he finds, this new unusual thing. Uh, so, it's very similar to Wreck It Ralph. It's very similar to uh, just uh, scenes or performance in general. And I mean, it's important too that there's a relatable emotion in there as well, along with. Yeah, that weird thing, and that, and, and really, in the case of both Ralph and Luke Skywalker, <laughs> is that they they want to change themselves, they want to better themselves. They're not satisfied with how who they are or who they were originally yeah. meant to be. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess that is that is uh, that's an important point, and especially it it makes sense with the concept of universality. You kind of want to have in your scenes or in your performances in your stories. To make them endearing, to make people connect with them, you really want to have these universal sort of sentiments or emotions. It may be weird things that are happening, but a lot of the things that they're experiencing are, you know, just as valid for anybody who's watching it. Um, I mean, for Ralph, he just wants to be, you know, accepted. He wants a he wants a change of pace. He wants to be validated for all the stuff that he's been doing, right? And it's those sorts of emotions that make him pretty relatable and make him easy to connect with. He's a goofy character and he's weird, but he's oddly relatable. And that's one of the things that I thought was a big positive of the movie was the ending, actually. Yeah. Uh, in that at the end, spoilers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Ralph and Vanellope change, but they don't completely abandon who they are. They are accepted for who they are and people mm-hmm. like them, but they still occupy the same space. Like Vanellope is supposed to be a princess, but she's like, nah. Yeah, and then Ralph becomes a hero, but he's still the villain of the video game. He keeps mm-hmm. his regular job. He just has changed his worldview to be more positive, and also the people around him have become more positive about him. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually, you know, that's uh, I've you know I've seen or I've heard or I've been taught um, that at the end of scenes or at the end of sketches. You want to either have the characters, you want to have the characters like grow or change, but you can end up the scene with having people change and learn something, or you could end the show as having everything go back to normal, right? Mm-hmm. You think about any, any episode of The Simpsons, some big things may happen to them in the episode, but by the end, everything's back to normal, right? I mean, there's the uh, there's the episode when uh, uh, Flanders invites Homer to the uh, to the football game, and then Homer and Flanders start hanging out together and being all chummy. And uh, Lisa and Bart actually make a bunch of references to this. And uh, Bart says, I'm worried about this. And uh, Lisa says, don't worry. This time next week, we'll be back to our old adventures, <laughs> like our old, <laughs> our old selves. And then it, uh, it doesn't happen later on. And Bart says, I'm worried. 
could this be the end? <laughs> I don't think this is the episode. No, I'm, I'm messing it up. But uh, Bart gets worried about it. But then a little bit later on, uh, Homer shows up and he's like, I just found out that our great uncle died and he, he left us his house. The only deal is we have to spend a night there. Now, some say it's haunted, but I think that we can do it, right? And then right. Uh, Flanders shows up and Homer tells him to, you know, uh, go away. And then Bart and Lisa are like, ah, we're back to normal, right? So <laughs> yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, but, uh, in, I mean, in a movie like this, I mean, you, you see everybody changes at the end, right? I mean, in a lot of ways, things are very similar, but they've also grown and they've also learned from the experience and they're all, you know, uh, they've all, uh, had their perspectives changed or they've all, I guess the general way of saying it is they've all grown. I mean, one of the things I, I definitely struggle with when I improvise is, I'm too eager to like abandon a character I've made to agree with a thing that's happened rather than integrating what's happened into the pre-established character that I've already made. Hmm. Interesting. And, and like, it would be kind of unsatisfying if like Ralph became a totally, he abandoned his job and he became he like, like if he moved into the building, if he, he wants to move into the apartment building, but if he actually did that, he would have completely abandoned who he was at the start of the film. And mm-hmm. the same thing if Vanellope had become a princess or if like Calhoun had stopped being a soldier. Mm-hmm. Like there has to be growth, as you said, change, but not abandonment of who you were pro- at the start. No, no, not, uh, not completely, completely different things. Um, it, it would have been very unsatisfying if Ralph had like completely given up his job and done something totally different because I mean, ultimately the plot of the movie all relates to him about, uh, sorry, the plot of the movie relates to Ralph wanting validation for the stuff he's already been doing. I would argue that he likes what he's doing, right? He likes doing it, but he's just getting sort of jaded with it because he hasn't been getting recognition for it which is what drives him to want to get the medal and to want to, you know, seek the approval of his peers and all that sort of stuff. And there's what they talk about in, in the, the baddies anonymous meeting is you, you should be happy with who you are and right. finding how to be happy with who you are. I mean, mm-hmm. is a fairly important life goal for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, I guess it is. And I suppose the movie does a good job of showing that in order to be happy with who you are, sometimes you need the, you know, you need the support of your peers. I think that's uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think it is. In order to have self-actualization, you must have self-esteem. And in order to have self-esteem, you must have love and acceptance. Well, uh, then, in that case, Cliff, uh, what are let's let's just name some of like the the miscellaneous things that we really enjoyed. So, like little moments that jumped out to us. Uh, there's. Like, lots of little tiny subtle things. I forget where it is, but somewhere in the movie, scrawled on one of the walls is graffiti. Someone wrote, Aerith Lives, and which is like a reference to Final Fantasy VII, uh, which I thought was nice. I like the fact that they don't, like, really super hit you, hit you over the head with that. It's a very subtle reference for, like, fans of video games who will get that and appreciate it, but it's not required information. It's just kind of, it adds the flavor of the world, shall we say. I actually can't believe they wrote Aerith lives either yeah I'm, I'm yeah i'm pretty sure i remember that like i like i, I remember seeing that i believe so. it yeah i was like i'm impressed i think <laughs> i think i don't know she'll honestly she'll always be aries to me but i'm you know whatever <laughs> uh i liked uh 
this was so dumb, but when uh, Ralph calls, is sitting next to Satan, and Satan corrects him and says, that's Satine. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. That's good. Um, there's the scene when Ralph is going through the lost and found bin at Tapper's, and he's digging around, and he pulls out the one-up mushroom, and then he puts it back in, and then he says, what's this? And he opens up his fist, and it's the exclamation mark uh, from Metal Gear Solid, and it makes the huh noise, like when a guard discovers you, mm. and uh, he throws it against the back wall, and it makes a squeak sound as it falls to the ground. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but the uh, I thought it was kind of funny that Calhoun was like this completely unproportional, hourglass-figured woman, <laughs> which, like... Of course, like, Felix is this, like, little person, and then you got these cute characters, and then, like, Calhoun's totally oversexed, which is very (laughs) normal for video games. Yep, yep, that does make sense. And also from Hero's Duty, I I did like that the player character was portrayed as a camera on wheels. (laughs) Yeah, that was funny. That was pretty good. Uh, and I mean that's all. I mean that's all they pretty much are. They're just standing in front of the screen, and the screen's just rolling around on the ground. Right. Yeah. That's pretty good. There was one scene that I really, really hated, Ooh. and it's because it had uh, what I think was like overt, overt product placement. One thing when I see movies or when I watch shows or things like that, one thing that I like I love to do, but I also hate it, is point out when there's pretty clear product placement. And I'm getting pretty good at discovering when it's like very subtle product placement. Um, It's one of the reasons why I was not very excited about the third season of House of Cards. um, Because there were a bunch of moments when I was like, they didn't need to do that. That was just for that advertisement, right? And there was a a whole bunch of different things that I was like, they don't need to do that. Um, But there was a scene, and it's when Calhoun and Felix get to the Sugar Rush land, I guess. And they fall... Uh, into the quicksand pit. Do you remember that one? Yes. And they look over and they see the sign that says it's Nesquik sand. And it's with the Nesquik. Now, yeah, Nesquik is like sugary and they're in like a sugar kingdom. So it makes sense. But I get the sense that they were paid to put that in. And the other thing as well is when she hits them over the head, they look up and they say, it's Laffy Taffy. Laffy Taffy, as far as I know, is a brand name. It's a specific type of taffy like it's an actual candy right and so that whole scene is about them trying to get out of the nesquik sand by getting the laffy taffy to pull them out but the whole scene has no relevance to the entire movie whatsoever (laughs) like they could have done without that entire scene and nothing would have been different i mean yeah they have that little moment between calhoun and felix at the end they could have put that in somewhere else I would argue that they had already established that Felix had a crush on Calhoun, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't need to have that in there. So I saw that and I was like, mm, uh, pretty sure that's product placement. It's pretty egregious, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's pretty, like, it's it's maybe like they were just doing some jokes, but if you're using an actual brand name like Laffy Taffy or Nesquik, I get the sense that it's they're specifically being paid to put them in there. I would not doubt that they were paid to put that in there. I'm I'm guessing that yeah you don't mm-hmm. do that unless you're being paid for it. And I mean it's 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 uh, it's double kind of annoying in the sense that it's a kids movie, and they're advertising Nesquik and Laffy Taffy. It's like yeah, 
that makes sense because it's a movie for kids and those are children's food things. <laughs> um, like uh, I, I saw, I saw um, uh, Inside Out recently, uh, which was spectacular. And if you get a chance to see it, you should absolutely see Inside Out. Um, but there's a running joke with a theme song from a gum commercial that comes up over and over and over. But they just made up a new gum, right? They made up one for the movie. It would have been incredibly easy for them to like pick an actual product and put that in and make that actual product the joke over and over, which would have been like like perfect product placement. But I really, really appreciate the fact that they didn't do that because to me that just keeps the movie much more pure, right? It makes it much much less disturbed by this outside world of like corporate advertising. It's, I mean, it's true. Uh, that's one of the things I'll be interested to see when we take a look at pixels is uh, the Adam Sandler films are well known for their egregious products placement. Uh, that that's one of the ways that they can make so much money and mm. be a good investment for the film companies. Yep. Yep. Uh, well, if that's true, I am sure I will find lots of instances of product placement. I, I imagine you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, so do you have any uh, any final thoughts about Wreck-It Ralph then? Well, uh, so this is going to be a bit pretentious. <laughs> Go ahead. They made a movie with video games in it. Yeah. But I don't think it's a video game movie. Interesting. Like, Interesting. if you were to say Wreck-It Ralph is about Ralph who lives in kingdom a with felix and then mm-hmm. he goes to visit the far off kingdom b where he met meets vanellope and the king and it's the candy land that you could remove a lot of like the the game premise and the story Ooh. is pretty much intact Ooh, yeah that's a really good point and it's not you know it's not a crime to make the movie this way it makes it more relatable for more people i think Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, this might not be possible. Can a movie be made that somehow conveys the feel of a video game? Um, I, huh. I, we'll be getting more into this, I think, also in a later episode, but I think Scott Pilgrim vs. the World does a, a better job of conveying the feel of the video game like as a viewer. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely have a lot more to talk about then, won't we? I'm hope, I hope so. I, I'd really like yeah. to cover that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess that's how I, how I feel. It's a, it's a good movie, and mm-hmm. I think it's nice that it tries to uh, show video games generally in a positive light. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's a wholesome family arcade owned by mm-hmm. this kindly old man, and you see young boys and young girls in there, which is nice. I, I think that's a good call. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that is, yeah. that, is, that is a very interesting observation which is also simultaneously devastating. <laughs> it's a it's a good movie, but you could take the same characters and put them anywhere and it would still hold up. Yep. So that means that the overall theme isn't entirely tied into the storyline, which is uh whew, that's a that's a big blow. <laughs> but I would I would have to agree with you. Well, uh they will get another crack at it, at least. Uh, there is, mm-hmm. The first movie made a ton of money. It was very well-reviewed. And uh, like as of like a month ago, uh, John C. Riley in an interview, said that there will be a sequel to Wreck-It mm-hmm. Ralph. 
Well, awesome. I uh, I will honestly, I'll probably end up seeing it because I like the first one enough um, that I would go in and see it again, or I'd see the second one. I'm curious enough to see a sequel, and hopefully, by the time it comes out in two years or so, we'll still be doing this podcast, and we can talk about it then. Absolutely. Well, in that case, then, with that in mind, that brings another episode of So Many Bits to a close. Uh, As we alluded to, uh, I guess we're not 100% sure what episode we'll be doing next. Uh, We might do Scott Pilgrim, or we could do Pixels, or we could do Earthbound Part 3. We have many options. Yeah. uh, I guess do you... uh, We could just do this now. Do you think that you have the opportunity to see pixels before we record again honestly based on the reviews that pixels have been getting i'll probably wait to see if i can torrent it Ooh, and he's putting it on a recorded audio file that will be on the <laughs> internet <laughs> i'll probably see and when i say torrent it i mean torrent it by going to a movie theater and paying to see it <laughs> uh well we'll see we'll see what happens there so it sounds like perhaps then Maybe Scott Pilgrim will be next week, but we'll find out. Mm -hmm. We'll find out. Those are the Mm -hmm. next three-ish episodes we're working on. Uh, We can be reached by email at somanybitspodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at SoManyBits. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at SoManyBits. Subscribe to us on iTunes. Please rate, please review, or listen to us on SoundCloud. And last but not least, please check out the rest of the Second Wind Collective for other podcasts. Support independent art. The spirit of Dell compels you. And uh, here's our awesome mending. Usually I'm already fading in the music here, so we can kind of just say whatever we want. Oh. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Now that's an ending right there. There you go.